You are listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today, we are looking at the topic of why are there so many churches? Welcome to the program today, my radio friends. I'm glad you've joined me for this sharing time. I hope you're coming to realise that the ruler of the universe, God, loves you. And I hope things have been going well for you this last week. We have covered an extensive series of topics in this series, Give Me the Bible, And today we will look at the reason why there are so many different religions within Christianity. I hope this will open up your understanding and give you an appreciation of what has happened in the past and of more recent events. The earliest biblical record of any church is mentioned in Acts 7.38 where it says, He, that is Moses, was in the assembly in the desert with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai. It's important at this stage to understand that a church does not actually refer to a church building. A church is a group of like-minded people who come together to worship. A church building should be referred to as a church building. When the Israelites left Egypt to go to the area we now often refer to as Israel, they had to pass through the Sinai Desert region. These people wanted religious freedom and to be free from slavery. The text from Acts 7 refers to an assembly out in the desert an assembly which we may safely call a church. It was God's intention for the Israelite assembly to be his one and only church. Unfortunately, the Israelites went through a continual pattern of rejecting God and worshipped pagan idols of the surrounding nations. Although God sent many prophets to tell the people what they had done wrong, the prophets were often ignored, rejected, or even killed. By the time of Jesus, things were no different. The church had lost its focus and its power. Tradition had replaced true worship of God. The church did not represent God anymore, and it was necessary for God to raise up a different group of people to be his representatives to the world. Thus, the Christian church came into being. 
The word Christian means followers of Christ. The focus of the Christian church is and has to be Christ. This is made plain by the Apostle Paul who says in 1 Corinthians 3.11 For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. The Christian church was established on the same basis as the original church. This consisted in believing in Jesus Christ and the observance of of the Ten Commandments. Jesus was the rock the church would be built upon. We read in Acts 17 how the Bereans were very careful before before committing themselves to the Christian church. They carefully studied the scriptures to see if what they had heard from the apostles was correct. Anyone who sincerely wants to connect with God needs to be like the Bereans and see for themselves if what they have been told is true or not. That is why I give you the places where you can read the Bible verses for yourselves and see whether what I have told you is correct. In the Bible, symbols were given for churches. The true church is represented by a pure woman. And you'll find that in Jeremiah 6 verse 2. A false church, that is a church which does not uphold God's laws and or hold that Jesus is the Messiah, is represented by a prostitute, all dressed up and adorned with jewellery. A more complete description is given in Revelation chapter 17. However, we have in Revelation 12 a prophecy of what would happen to the true church. It is also about the attacks of Satan against God's people. Verses 1 and 2 say, A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant, and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Going on in verses 3 to 6 it says, Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth, so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and his throne. Briefly, these verses tell about Satan's attempts to destroy the centre of the Christian church, that is, Jesus. Later verses tell how Satan, in his unsuccessful attempt to destroy Jesus, pursued the woman, 
that is, God's true church, in an attempt to destroy it. However, God intervened, and it was preserved. Then, in verse 17, it says, Then the dragon, that Satan, was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. In this last verse is the key as to who make up God's true church. These people keep God's commandments and believe in the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus as the way of salvation. So the prophecy tells that God's people would be under attack. That has proved to be the case, and still is the case to this very day. This is the main reason why there are so many churches existing in the world. It is well known that the apostolic church, that's the church set up by the the apostles, the group of believers who existed in the first generation after Jesus was on earth, were very sincere and understood the way of salvation. They knew that there was no other means of being saved and given eternal life other than through the death and resurrection of Jesus. They knew that only God could forgive sin, and they also were a commandment-keeping people. But, as the prophecy in Revelation stated, the dragon, that Satan, went after God's people and tried by many and varied means to destroy genuine Christians. As you may have heard in previous programs, the main methods used were firstly outright persecution and secondly infiltrating the church and bringing in pagan doctrines and practices. Even the apostles Peter and John warned people way back in the early days of the Christian church that is heresies, being ideas that are not supported by the Bible, would come into the church. They wrote about false prophets and the harm they would do. Yes, the false prophets did bring heresies into the church and were very successful in corrupting the pure doctrines and practices taught in the early apostolic church. In some previous programs, I've told you about the rise of the Roman Catholic Church and how it dominated the peoples of Europe for many centuries. You would have heard how pagan, that is, non-Christian ideas, came into the church, and of how tradition became more important than the Holy Word of God. You would have heard of how the Roman Catholic Church persecuted and killed millions of people, people who chose to obey God rather than the church. You would have also heard how deliberate moves were made to alter some of the teachings of the Bible in order to shift the blame away from the church. 
During the Protestant Reformation, which reached its height in the 1500s, different preachers began to teach from the Bible. These teachings had not been heard by most people for hundreds of years, as the Roman Catholic Church only taught the people what they wanted them to hear, and those teachings were rarely from the Bible and were usually spoken only in Latin. A Catholic priest by the name of Martin Luther is credited as the father of Protestantism and he is responsible for the beginning of a movement which has spread right across the world. It is called Protestantism. We're going to stop here for a musical break and then we'll go on afterwards. He's got the little tiny baby. In his hand. He's got the little tiny baby. In his hand. He's got the whole world in his hand. In his hand. He's got the whole world. In his hand. He's got the whole wide world. In his hand. He's got the whole world. In his hand. He's got the whole world in his hand. He's got you and me, brother. He's got you and me, sister. He's got you and me, brother. He's got the whole world in his hands. In his hands. He's got the whole world 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 in his hands. He's got everybody here. another piece of music performed by the English Chorale who enjoy doing Negro spirituals. 
Of course, that one is, he's got the whole world in his hands. Just before the break, I mentioned how the beginning of Protestantism came. And uh, that was uh, because of various preachers, especially Martin Luther, who did not agree with many of the things that he had learned as a Catholic priest. Now, Martin Luther had access to the Holy Scriptures, the Bible, and discovered that the forgiveness of sins is not brought about by doing penance, as required by the Catholic Church, but by faith in God. The words from Romans 1 verse 17 kept ringing in Luther's mind, The just shall live by faith. Eventually Luther broke from the Catholic Church and there were many things he identified as practices of the Church that were not supported by the Bible. The people who accepted Luther's teachings were called Lutherans. Lutherans understand clearly that the forgiveness of sin and the way of salvation is a free gift of God through Jesus Christ. The Orthodox Church probably maintained more of the purity of the early apostolic church and refused to accept that the head of the church would be the Pope. They accepted Jesus Christ as the head of the church. The Orthodox Church still exists today, although there are two main divisions within that church. In England, King Henry VIII, who was king in the early 1500s, had a dispute with the Pope because the Pope would not give King Henry permission to marry again. Henry had five wives. In order to marry again, Henry declared himself to be head of the Catholic Church in England. Thus, the Church of England, that is the Anglican Church, was formed. Many of the practices of the Catholic Church were maintained, but the Church of England refused to recognise the Pope as its head. In the 1560s, John Knox, a powerful Scottish preacher, was convinced the other reformers were right, and he brought a form of Protestantism to Scotland. He emphasised practical Christianity instead of formalism, and thus, beginning in Scotland and eventually spreading throughout the British Isles, the Presbyterian Church grew and flourished. It seems that here and there, under the influence of godly preachers, little bits of what the early apostolic church had taught and were later lost were being revealed. In England, a number of godly men had heard some of the teachings of another Protestant reformer, John Calvin. Studying the Bible for themselves, they came to the conclusion that believers should be baptised by immersion in water and not by being sprinkled with a few drops. Thus, in the 1600s, the Baptist churches came into being. Then came the Methodists. 
This branch of Protestantism was largely influenced by the Wesley brothers, John and Charles, who were part of a group at Oxford in England who regularly took part in prayer and helping the less fortunate. Their emphasis was on devotion and practical Christianity. The Methodist Church traces its history back to 1798. One of the interesting features of many of these churches is that they were returning to the apostolic church model, their doctrines and practices. But the other interesting thing is that having discovered and taught the newly discovered truth from the Bible, they rarely moved on to new truths. But there were groups who sincerely searched the Bible to see what else God would have them understand. In America, in the early 1800s, William Miller, a retired sea captain, was impressed when reading his Bible to find that Jesus was coming to earth a second time to take back with him to heaven the people who obeyed God. He preached in many Protestant churches and many people accepted his teachings. This movement was known as the Adventists, although there was no official church organisation. Later, the group did form to become an official church organisation. This church was and is known now as the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Not only did the members of this church believe in the physical return of Jesus to earth, but they were also convinced of the necessity to keep the Seventh-day Sabbath as God's holy day, as occurred in the early apostolic church. Of course, there have been different groups which have focused on one thing or another. Pentecostals have focused on the experience of the Holy Spirit. Christadelphians have managed to remove the devil from the scriptures. Jehovah Witnesses are highly regulated by their superiors and have removed Jesus Christ from the Godhead. As you have probably observed, the revelation of biblical truths was progressive and God worked through different individuals in different places to reveal truth to people. But it does seem that many people have become stuck in a rut and never moved on to other things that God wanted them to know. Others moved away at a tangent and formed some unusual doctrines which have become the backbone of their theological thinking. Currently, there are over 30,000 Protestant denominations around the world. So, while God was working to bring back a proper understanding of the Scriptures, Satan was working to corrupt that understanding 
and bring confusion into the churches. All this is very interesting. But where does it leave us? If you were looking to join a church, which one would you join? What reasons would you have in wanting to be part of that church organisation? Would you join a church in order to meet people, have some company and a support group? Or would you want to be part of a church that wholly bases its beliefs on the Bible? Would you want to be part of a church that encourages right living 24-7? Or would you prefer one that doesn't care too much how you live through the week as long as you turn up for the regular services? Would you want to belong to a church that is filled with tradition and liturgy or one where there is an earnest endeavour to more fully understand God's will? Would you want to belong to a church with a mission, a purpose for existing, or one that merely sails along, not appearing to go anywhere? Would you want to belong to a church where it makes you feel good with lively music and so on, regardless rather, of the doctrines taught? It seems to me that the main reason one would want to belong to a church group is because a person recognises that he or she is sinful, wants peace and forgiveness, wants to comply with God's will and become part of the community of people who Jesus will take to heaven to be given eternal life. Church should not be just another place for entertainment. It should strengthen our faith and be part of the means of bringing us closer to our God. A few moments ago, I mentioned that God is working to bring back a proper understanding of the Scriptures, while at the same time, Satan is working to bring about confusion and to get people to ignore the Scriptures. Added to that, I fear that Satan is working through some organisations that seem to be holy, but in effect draw people away from God. It's not my place to tell you on air which church to join, but the Scriptures are quite clear as to who will be God's people in the last days. Revelation chapter 14, verse 12, identifies them. The verse says, This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints, those who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. And that is reiterated in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17. It speaks of those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Jesus was speaking to a group of people one day and on this particular occasion he said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, 
and do not do what I say. It is obvious that it is important not only to believe, but to do. We will be judged by our actions. If something is right, we should do it. If something is wrong, we should keep away from it. Friends, there are a lot of churches. Most make excuses for not keeping God's commandments. They primarily focus on salvation, the sacrifice of Jesus, and give social reasons for being responsible citizens. But the Bible is clear. God wants a people who obey him and who accept the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus as the way of salvation. Choosing a church is more than choosing a brand of dishwashing detergent at the supermarket. You need to choose a church that meets God's requirements. Choose wisely. My time is up again. There is much more I could say on this subject, but I hope I've given you a fair explanation explanation of why there are so many churches, and I hope I have explained clearly enough what the Bible teaches. So, in the meantime, my wish for you is that God will give you the courage to do his will and the strength to carry out your convictions.